Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Hi, this is Bill Farmer. You're listening to the Neverland Podcast. Another world. Another time. In the age of wonder. There was once a dream. You could only whisper it. Anything more than a whisper. And it would vanish. A battle between good and evil. You don't know the power of the dark side. Where shall I find a new adversary so close to my own level? Try the local sewer. You know of the rebellion against the Empire? The Avengers. Earth's mightiest heroes. Peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy. One of these days, I'm going to have a stick of my own. I'm Groot. Welcome to the Neverland Podcast. The podcast for lovers of Disney, Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars. I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. Please welcome your host, Jeremy. I thought he'd be taller. Yeah, I can fly. All it takes is faith and trust. Well, if it isn't the Star Spangled Man with a plan, what is your plan today? Up to Neverland! <laughs> Take your pixie out of your pockets, Neverlanders. Sprinkle some of that pixie dust around, grab your happiest thoughts, and fly away with us to Planet Comic Con, Kansas City. We've had a wonderful time, a great weekend. We had Adrian Ropp, wonderful artist, has done so many different things. We had a panel with him, you, him, you, me, and Eric and Adrian, because you're here with us in spirit. You're getting to hear this. So it was a great time. You're going to get to hear that panel. But before I play that audio, I want to say that we've got so much more from Planet Comic Con coming up here in the future. I had a wonderful conversation with Hacksaw Jim Duggan, WWE Hall of Famer, class of 2011. That was fantastic. Dream come true. I got to have conversations with Rob Paulson, though I was not able to record it. Uh, but he's got some interesting things that he told me about the upcoming Ninja Turtles series. Basically, give it a try. I mean, I'm I'm kind of skeptical of it myself, but I'm going to give it a fair shot. And Rob Paulson did say that, you know what, if you don't end up liking it, then you just don't watch it. And eventually the show will go away if nobody likes it. But if there are some people that enjoy it, we let them enjoy it. Uh, so that was pretty cool. It was nice getting to talk to him. I got to talk to a little bit with Jess Harnell. I'm hoping he might come on the show. Trying to also make contact with Jim Cummings. I wasn't able to get completely in contact with him. Uh, but I did have a good time at the event. I recorded a lot of great panels. You'll be hearing them all in future episodes. What you normally would hear in today's episode would be a review for the film Black Panther, but because I was at this convention all weekend, I didn't have an opportunity to see it. Hopefully, maybe by next week, I will have seen it, and maybe Eric will have gotten a chance to see it, and we'll be able to discuss that next week. Uh, I am still working on having a great panel discussion about the difference between the Walt era and the modern era of Disney animation and filmmaking. I'm still working on that, but we've been very busy with all these other events. That should hopefully be coming up very, very soon, along with great panels from, uh, my goodness, uh, Alan Tudyk, uh, Palm, and I don't know how to say her last name, but she played Mantis in Guardians of the Galaxy and the upcoming Avengers Infinity War. Uh, I sat in with Matthew Lewis, who played Neville Longbottom in the Harry Potter films. 
Uh, so many great recordings that I have to share with you in the coming weeks, months, however long it takes for me to be able to share all this great audio. I've got some great video to share that I will be posting up to our YouTube channel. I'm probably sharing some of the audio of those videos here with you, but some of this you really are going to want to see, including a fantastic program by Walking and Rolling, or Walking and Rolling, take the G's out and add an apostrophe. These are the people, they are making costumes for kids that are in wheelchairs. They basically make a costume out of the wheelchair that is very easy to take on and off, and so the kid can get out of the chair if they need to use the restroom or something like that. Uh, it was a fantastic program. I was trying not to cry behind my camera. It was so touching. They did a whole thing where they presented a costume to a little boy that was there that uh, was a special order. It was a fantastic event. I've got so much to be able to share with you, but today we're going to concentrate. I'm going to share with you a panel we had with Adrian Ropp, former Disney artist. Uh, he does Chim Chum, his own series, which is now in a comic book form. He's currently drawing, and I believe also still writing for Rocky and Bullwinkle, uh, also a comic book. Uh, he has done past work for the Pink Panther and Underdog all through AmericanMythologies.net. Make sure you're picking up some of their stuff and go to your local comic shop. If you don't see any of these books, tell them you would buy that if they would order them and you would love to be able to read some Chim Chum, right? So one thing I do want to note here that you're going to notice, we do have some fun talking about this. The, uh, the Planet Comic Con organizers, I don't think they realized we were a Disney show. And they put our panel on Friday, which is usually lightly attended compared to a Saturday, but it was on during the exact same time as Jim Cummings' panel was in the main hall. And I think most of the Disney fans had gone over there to Jim Cummings, and unfortunately, we played to a uh, rather empty room. It was kind of unfortunate, and uh, I, I, poor Adrian, I think he, he took it a little like it was somehow his fault or something. But uh, no, I, I, I think it was just bad timing. Uh, but you're going to love the conversation with Adrian Ropp. Uh, he's been, uh, we've had some audio from him before that Eric had recorded at a previous convention. Uh, you, you may have heard him on Disney Indiana. Uh, he was lots of fun. He's done so many cool things. You're really going to enjoy this. But I've blathered on long enough. Let's just get right down to it. And we'll pick up right after some you know, the the audio recording that uh, that I got there. It was on some equipment that I had checked out, but they hooked it up to the uh, the mixer for me. But uh, they had a little trouble with getting the volumes straight there at the beginning, so I've done what I could. And I, I edited out my previous introduction there because there was a lot of clipping. So we're going to pick right up where I'm pointing over to my right, where, well, you'll just have to figure out who's sitting right to my right, won't you? And of course, sitting over here to my right is the lovely and talented Lost Boy Eric. I do what I can. Of course, and you do it so well. Well, that goes without saying. It goes without saying. And over to your right, I'm going to let you introduce him because you've known him since second grade. Oh, uh, sixth grade. Sixth grade. I don't don't make us look too old here. <laughs> oh, well, heck, you're not that much older than me. We're all old together. Yes. Yeah, but we never grow up because this is never land. No, never. Never do. Never grow up. <laughs> no, uh, but uh, over here to my right is uh, my very good friend and former guest of Neverland Podcast, Adrian Robb. Hi, everybody. Uh, please, 
take your seats. We only have 50 minutes in this room, and yeah. we have a lot to get through. So yeah, standing. I do love a standing ovation. Oh, now, but my goodness. So now, why have we invited Adrian to join us today? Adrian uh, is a former Disney artist. Uh, he's worked with Lucasfilm. He's worked with Archie Comics, uh, and he's actually uh, got some work out right now of his very own. Uh, Chim Chum and the Portly Samurai is a comic book just released uh, last month, and um, he's here joining us in Kansas City to uh, talk a bit about what he's done in life, uh, where he's going, what's happening, and, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, we just want to let him know how much we appreciate him. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm happy to be here. And, you know, as cold as it is outside, I'm really enjoying the warm reception I've been receiving here at this panel today. Well, yay, good. Because <laughs> it is, I was kind of wanting to see y'all's face when you stepped out in this 30 degree weather. After last night when you came in, it was probably still in the 50s, wasn't it? Oh, no. No. no it no, had already no, no, dropped? No. Maybe was, the negative 50s. Because uh, yeah. <laughs> it was 50, 60 degrees yesterday, but because this is Missouri, a cold front comes through and drops us down to 30 and below. The wind chill was present. Oh, yes. Yeah. So welcome to Cold Air. Thanks. Uh, but we'll get started. We'll get the biography of, of Adrian Rapp. I feel like the Jeopardy music should be starting. <laughs> so what got you interested in artwork? Was it because you loved cartoons and decided you wanted to draw some of those characters you saw on TV? Well, yeah. When I was six years old, I went to the theater with my grandparents and saw The Jungle Book. And I remember thinking, I don't know how you do this for a living, but I want to. I, this is what I want to do. I love the characters. It was so colorful. The animation was so vibrant. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'd, I'd been a Disney fan my whole young life at that point. But, but that was the moment where I thought, I, I, this is what I was meant to do on the surface is to make things like this. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I got my, my very first start. I recently learned that I think Brad Bird might have been influenced by the same film. And I'm not sure if anything ever came of Brad Bird. I haven't heard what's happened since then, but I, I think we, we've probably had a very similar career. Um, I don't know, something about Iron Giants and Incredible yeah, People never, or something. Yeah, I haven't followed his career very closely. Yeah, I think uh, he did something for The Simpsons once. Maybe. Could be, yeah, could be. I don't know. So Rides, anyway, directs, uh, I don't know. so I just took arts, you know, I just took art classes in high school and I'm mostly self-taught and just kind of worked my way up the ladder and, and uh, networked with people and got people to kind of vouch for me and train me and, and uh, eventually I, I got into the animation industry. Yeah. So what was the first character you drew since the Jungle Book inspired you? Were you trying to draw Baloo? Uh, yeah, I used to try to draw Disney characters, but I, I loved doing stories so much. I actually had my own comic, comic strip character named Freddy the Frog that I've been drawing since he was like a stick figure. But uh, yeah, I used to draw comics and photocopy him and sell them at school for <laughs> probably less than it cost me to photocopy him. Yeah. But uh, yeah, because I just love telling stories. And I think the, the reason I love the Jungle Book so much is that the characters were so fun like I, I wanted to go on a journey with them because I really liked the characters and so it wasn't until years later that I realized I didn't want to be an animator I wanted to be a storyboard artist because the storyboard artist got to tell the story and yeah. and frankly got to tell the animators what they had to do got to boss <laughs> everybody around now uh, how does uh, being an animator translate into working in video games um, so both of them are jobs in which your whole family will tell you that you're not actually doing the work for a living and they don't take your career seriously, like when they're all doctors and nurses and stuff. But um, for a storyboard artist, it's very similar because I do the cutscenes and the story development for video games. And other than, other than you want to tell the story a different way so that uh, the, the gamer can be the main character that makes the choices versus a canned experience 
in a film where you're you're watching the main character make the choices. It's just a different way of storytelling, but the tools are pretty much the same for me. I you know, I started when it was 2D animation back long long ago. And when it, when 3D took over, it didn't really affect anything I did at all. It's just a different different instruments to s tell the same stories. I didn't have to start learning how to storyboard any differently or anything like that. So um, it, story is one of those disciplines in the entertainment industry that translates really well across the different types of medium. So what was the first thing you got to work on? Um, I, I was in relative obscurity working on small projects for a privately owned company in Utah. And the first film I worked on was called Princess and the Pea, which is about a $10 million animated, hand-drawn animated uh, musical. And it had a really like limited theatrical run, like 10 theaters. Mm. But uh, uh, that was my first experience. And I worked with an old, with the head of layout from the uh, Don Bluth Studios, Mark Swan, who's my first boss, and he'd started his own studio. So I got to work there. And one of the great things about that project was all of his buddies that used to work at Bluth would come do little sequences or pieces of Princess and the Pea. And so they'd come work at the studio and I'd get to meet them and pick their brain about things. And yeah, uh, you know, uh, Rick Estrada was one of the guys that showed up there and he was, he did uh, comics for DC for years and years, Sergeant Rock, and he did some Wonder Woman covers. And I got to learn how to do comics from him. He also worked on Hanna-Barbera shows, like Wacky Races as a storyboard oh, cool. artist. So I got to learn a ton from him. Uh, another guy, uh, Jared Beckstrand, who's an animator at Disney. He did uh, Pacha in Emperor's New Groove, Esmeralda in Hunchback, Jane in Tarzan. Uh, he's mostly did like the, the women, the heroine types mm -hmm. characters. Uh, he, he came in and worked there a lot, so I got to learn from him. And uh, the other big one for me is Bob Simmons, who is an effects artist. And he actually was the effects lead on Swan Princess and Cats Don't Dance. So I got to see a lot of cool stuff that way as well. Yeah. yeah. You learn a lot of that Disney style even when you work, you know, through Don Bluth and everything. You get, there's a very similar yeah. type of thing. Well, they have, they have definitely have their own signature mm -hmm. to it, but it's all, the, the, the things were figured out by the, by the old Disney crew, the Night mm -hmm. Old Men especially. Yeah, you know, not just them, but, you know, they, they get all the credit and they were great. But yeah. there was hundreds of people that developed that style and everybody got to benefit from from it. Yeah. One of the things that makes me the most sad about animation right now is that those skills are getting lost. Yeah. There. Some of those disciplines translate to 3D and some of them you don't you don't get to learn because nobody's teaching them anymore because nobody's doing hand-drawn animation at a feature level. Yeah. Now, uh, while working on Princess and the Pea, um, what did you learn about uh, voice work? Uh, voice work, well... Let's see, Princess and the Pea. We, so it was set in Europe, so we, we cast all uh, English talent for it. So, but we mostly did the uh, voice acting over the phone, you know, patched it into the sound studio, and we just direct them and give them feedback. Otherwise, we'd have to travel back and forth a lot. Um, that was my first experience doing voice directing, though, because that tends to be a part of the story person's job. Um, but you know, you learn things like don't be too subtle with the voice acting because it doesn't. When you're doing voice-only stuff, it doesn't read very well unless they're a little bigger with their acting. Uh, and you also find too that there's people that are meant for voice acting, and then there's people that were meant for screen acting, and they're not always the same people. <laughs> a lot of times, when you listen to interesting voices in cartoons. 
those aren't the people that are celebrities, you know. Right. I, one and and I hate to point out somebody, but like Brad Pitt as Sinbad in the DreamWorks Sinbad movie, <laughs> kind of dead sounding. Yeah. Like it wasn't it wasn't great. So you learn you learn how to figure out where good talent can come from. Also, we use uh, there's three little piglets in the show, and uh, we decided to cast little kids as the voices, and that's tough because for the kids grow up and also they're really hard to direct so <laughs> uh yeah I, I know they did that on bambi with the voice of bambi was a little kid but it's really tough to get a good performance because they're usually not actors they're you're usually getting the sound of a sincere sounding little kid yeah you spend a lot of time with them but you know we yeah. talking with how voice actors usually don't get the credit they deserve i am liking here lately it seems with conventions like this we are getting a lot more voice actors in and people are starting to recognize them like hey these are the people who made everything you've loved since you were a child yeah. and are still making it and so I, I love the fact that people are starting to acknowledge voice acting and how how tough it can be and how tough it is to get into so isn't it interesting that. that you can have someone like a jim cummings for example i'll just pull his name out of the air for no reason yeah whatsoever. for no reason at all we're going to talk um, about jim cummings yeah yeah <laughs> who knows I, I wonder where he is this weekend gee i um, don't know he might be here <laughs> didn't he have a panel about now <sighs> yeah yeah anyway he'll probably show up here i'm sure uh but it's interesting it's interesting to me to see people get excited about him because he's the voice of Darkwing Duck mm -hmm. and walk by the guy that designed and wrote the show and Dad have Stones. no idea who that person is. I yeah. mean, some people do, but people people relate to that voice so much that it becomes the dominant part of the character. Very, yeah. very interesting. And well-deserved, though. Really yes. well-deserved. Oh, his work is amazing, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, again, I, I hope he hears that someday. Yeah, I hope somebody finally recognizes him and like goes to panels. <laughs> right. All right. So, uh, like the big elephant in the room, though, you were doing story for Disney Infinity. I I did. I worked for Disney for about a decade. Yeah. Uh, by the time I by the time I left the company, uh, I was the head of the story department. So I got to work on uh, Cars characters. You know, Lightning and Mater. I worked with the Mater character for three different games four different games uh so i got to work with larry the cable guy a lot oh fun uh and you know did cars a toy story um one of my favorite things is i'm a very nervous person and so i got to write all of rex's lines for toy story and everybody thought i did the best job and it was just because i wrote them like it was me <laughs> so poor rex um i worked on monsters university playset which is pretty cool um avengers and guardians of the galaxy and then star wars all the star wars playsets the the prequel trilogy the original trilogy and force awakens wow yeah so when you're approaching something like of course marvel's gonna have a big fan base but the star wars are like this beloved almost iconic when you're gonna try to translate that into a game and yet in that very fun toy box style how do you approach that Boy, you know, it's it's hard because I think there's a there's a you want it to be entertaining and you don't want it to be the same as the film. The the problem we always had if we made a game that was based on a film is if you tell the film story, the film did it better. Right. It's always gonna be the case. And and so you look for places to either tell the story from a different angle, or for example in the um in the uh 
Monsters U playset that we did for Infinity, we actually set it in the, there's a montage moment where you don't actually see all the stuff that they're going through, so we set our game there, so that's what's happening before, between acts two and three. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like a deleted scene version. There was a lot of things that we did the sequel to or, or you know, things like that, but um, I'm very precious about Star Wars. I'm when they were talking at work, like who should be in charge of making sure that the Star Wars stuff gets done right? There's a lot of people that wanted to do it, and I didn't want to do it because I knew that that was going to mean I had to read the script for Force Awakens a year and a half in advance. Oh and wow! I relish the experience of going to the theater for those movies so much. I'm like, I don't want it to be ruined for me. Yeah. But then something else worse occurred in my mind, which was, but someone else isn't going to do as good a job as I am with this <laughs> content. So I just have to be a martyr and you know, I'll, okay, fine. I'll work with Lucasfilm. Uh, so, but uh, it was an absolute pleasure. And, and, you know, I got to, I got to work with Daisy Ridley on her very first uh, voice acting uh, uh, call. So she'd never done voice acting before, before uh, our project. And yeah, it was fun for funny for, to watch her like figure out like oh you have to do this different you know this isn't like stage acting or screen acting it's like we do like three takes of a line or there's all these effort sounds you have to do that mm -hmm. normally an actor wouldn't have to do and so that was interesting and then uh, John Boyega actually played Disney Infinity and he didn't know that's what he was recording that day and then when I told him what we were doing he was kind of geeking out the whole time <laughs> man I can't believe I'm doing effort sounds for Disney Infinity and so that was pretty awesome but uh, thank you I thank hear you. an applause through the wall I assume that's Jim Cummings no, probably that's talking about that's our applause oh is it okay that's our applause. I thought maybe it was Jim Cummings talking about us but uh, so, but uh, you know, I worked with the guys at the story team at Lucasfilm quite quite directly, and, and I consider some of them really good friends to this day, actually. And uh, But uh, do you guys know who the Holocron Keeper is? You, you Lee Yeah. So when they came out to visit us the first time when we started doing Star Wars stuff, uh, he introduced himself, and I said, wait, you're the Holocron Keeper, aren't you? And that's the guy, for anybody in the audience that doesn't know, uh, Holocron Keeper is the guy that pretty much is the lore guardian that tracks everything Star Wars related. He's the living Wikipedia or Wikipedia of Star Wars. And I knew who that guy was, and I don't think normal people do, so I think that started our friendship right away. <laughs> but, but they were always great to work with, and I, and I really I, I had a, a great regard for them. You know, working on... Uh the force awakens like that what was the one thing that you know you wanted to be able to share with people that knew that you couldn't um that's a tough question i think most people would say that han died that wouldn't i didn't want to tell anybody that spoilers oh yeah well, <laughs> Spoiler warning. i'm sure there's two people in the world that haven't seen that movie yet <laughs> yeah. um the thing I didn't, the, the thing that I really wished I could have told everybody was how cool Ray was. Yeah. Like when the when the toys started coming out, the the Force Friday, the September before the movie came out, the only thing I was looking for was Ray toys because I knew I'm like she's gonna be the thing in Star Wars. This is the this is a big deal, and I was on board from from the get go with that character. So what I want, what I wish I could tell everybody is like, you're not gonna believe how awesome this Ray character is. It's amazing. <laughs> Who cares about Han and Chewie and and Luke and I mean we all care about him, but, <laughs> of but we it's Ray's story. It's yeah. Ray's story through and through, and and I think she carries it really nicely. So, 
Uh, but but that's that's probably the biggest thing. Also, just the just the unabashed love story it was to the original film, and, mm-hmm. and all the nods that it gives, and you know, the first time you see the Falcon again, I still get chills watching that because it's yeah. just such a great moment for me. But yeah, yeah. And one thing I really kind of love that was a bit of a fan service from when doing A New Hope is actually having there on Tatooine the little uh, Beggar's Canyon run, and even having the little Eye of the Needle that it talks about, like in the audio drama of threading the needle. I noticed it was in there. Yeah, I loved it, and that was like my goal, like. Whether I was, you know, just goofing around or what, it's like I had to fly through that little hole every time I went through. It's like I must thread the needle. And by the way, aren't those audio dramas great? I love the, the oh, Brian so Daly. <laughs> those are great. I so great, them. so great. You get all those extra details, all those deleted things. Which yeah, oh, the th- new Hope ones. Like, there's probably like three other movies before the movie yeah. even starts. Was there some deleted stuff from the Force Awakens that you were able to put into the game? It's been a while since I've played it. I'm going to say no. Okay. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> Is there any little extra things you wish you could put in? So we couldn't... Maz, Kanata, we couldn't... They were still finalizing their design when we had to be done. Mm. And so we had to change the story slightly. So it was the, her robot helper when he mm. went to her planet, Takadana. Maz Kanata on Takadana, by the way, is the worst line of dialogue you can be asked to write. <laughs> Um, but so we had to we had a, a robot character that replaced her that was actually in the, we actually like went through and found photo ref and found the character that could be that character so we when we usually did things like that we tried to make it canon or you know canon ish so it was reasonable for everybody to agree that this robot worked with Moz and probably would walk people around to different parts of her layer so that but that was a bummer to lose Moz because that she's such a fun character yeah and they didn't get to do much with her in last jedi either so so well between all of the toy boxes that you worked on all of the play sets all of the uh you know even naming things what was your favorite line that you got to write uh, between any of the games oh that's easy i actually have a really good one so rusi taylor who's the voice of uh, minnie mouse um, and I'll try to say this story without crying, but I've never successfully said, told this story without it, even with no audience. I mean, w- even with a with small this audience. packed room. With an average size audience. <laughs> you guys are great, by the way. Thank you for coming. I was waving <laughs> to my favorite audience members. Um, Rusi Taylor, who's the voice of Minnie Mouse. We did Minnie Mouse in, the, in Infinity. Yes. And um, I am infatuated with her. I think she's amazing. She's so sweet and nice and... Uh, I've worked with her a few times, but um, her husband, Wayne Allwine, used to be the voice of Mickey Mouse, and they were, they were sweethearts. They loved each other so much, and they'd always record together. And when she'd show, she always, well, I don't know if always, she often showed up to recording sessions before him, and when he walked in, she'd say, there's my handsome prince. That's how she always greeted him when she came in. So I, we were able to write lines for Mickey and Minnie to, Mickey and Minnie to say to each other in... Uh, Infinity, and so Wayne had just died maybe six months earlier, and so I wrote I wrote one of her lines to be "There's my handsome prince" for her to say to Mickey oh. to put in the game. <laughs> yeah, so that was uh, that was a, that was a special thing, and and Rusi was so gracious to actually say the line, and it, so there's always going to be that. There's always going to be a piece of me telling Rusi and Wayne how much I love their work together and how much I appreciated him and her love for him that's going to be in that game forever. And, 
and and uh, I, I, real, I felt very honored to be able to add that to the to the uh, legacy of Disney. See, now I'm going to have to go when I next play it. I'm going to have to put Mickey and Minnie in there together just to get them to just say to, it. Well, you just saw me just now. Just don't yeah. make me be around because it uh, chokes me up every time. <laughs> that is an awesome way to tribute, though, to Wayne. That was I, that was the best way I could think of to say something about yeah. it. You know, that is fantastic. You know, uh, what do you think was your best day working on Disney Infinity? Oh boy, um, you know, it was probably my first trip to Pixar. Uh, the first trip to Pixar I took was when we were making Cars 2, and that was just awesome. That was, I mean, it's just awesome. Got to eat in the Pixar, in the Pixar atrium at their cafe, and they have a wow. Pixar store there and everything. And man, did I buy a lot of stuff at that <laughs> Pixar store. Little did I know I'd go there. I probably went there at least a couple dozen times over the years. And by the end, I was like, I can't buy any more of this stuff. I have most of it at home already. Anyway. <laughs> but uh, I bought a lot of Hawaiian shirts, a lot. <laughs> um, but that was that was probably my best day. That was the kind of pinch me on dreaming day. And you know, I got to work not always directly, but sometimes they'd show up with uh, Pete Doctor and and Andrew Stanton and. Uh, I'm, I've I met Lassiter twice. Didn't other than just hey, how's it going? There wasn't much of a conversation there, but but just being in that culture is just such a cool thing. Yeah, it was a big moment. And if I were going to give a second answer to that, it would be the first day I got to go to Lucasfilm. Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So which is uh, your favorite bit of, from Pixar? Getting to work on between Cars and Monsters University. Um, you know what the the Cars Two video game that movie doesn't get a lot of love, but that video game was awesome and it was so much fun to work on. And I got to work with uh, the rest of the story team on uh, coming up with a really clever hook on this training facility that Finn and Holly Shift will have, where they can teach people to become special agents. So the whole game got to be a shoot 'em up with like cool Fillmore and and you know Sarge with machine guns strapped to the sides of them and stuff <laughs> we totally made it make sense uh, and and uh, it was kind of a really cool action adventure game so that's probably my that's probably my favorite product uh, my favorite sequence was I got to do an alternate version of the fight scene between Kylo Ren and Rey at the end of this Force Awakens playset because they hadn't filmed it yet yeah so they told me to go ahead and storyboard something and they'd just correct me on where I'd gone wrong with it, and they didn't give me any corrections. In fact, to this day, I erroneously claim that they stole my idea <laughs> for their fight scene, because mine was done first. So please please go. don't let so anybody there. from Lucasfilm hear that part. Just kidding. You were there first, you licked it, it's yours. I, that's right, they're like, oh yeah, Adrian figured this out. This guy's got, got the chops, I get it. <laughs> you know, uh, going back to writing for characters, uh -huh. You know, that, that's got to be quite the thing because, you know, we, we all have a relationship with different Disney characters. We know how they sound. We know how they should react. How did that inform your writing? Um, so, yeah, so there was projects where we actually knew things like Mickey and Minnie. I knew how they should sound. Yeah. And Disney has a character voices department that keeps everything in line with the brand vision. But... Generally, those tended to be easier writing tasks for me. There was a lot of times where we had, like, uh, we were making the Toy Story 3 video game. Whoopi Goldberg's character, yeah, it's the octopus, what, what was its name? Stretch, it Stretch. 
Anyway, we had no idea. Like, <laughs> the, when you when it's a new character and they don't let you see a screening or read a script, even you don't know the cadence or the character or anything. So they end up being your first draft ends up being a very caricatured version of versions of the, what things that actor has done before. Um, the Yondu character, because I, I did the you know the Guardians playset, and I was working uh, Brian Michael Bendis, who's a, who was a writer for Marvel, now a writer for DC. Um, he worked as an advisor on the playset on story stuff, and then we got to the Yondu character. None of us had seen the film or screening or anything, and uh, we kept writing him. And I'd read the Guardians comics, so I was writing Yondu like he is in the comics, which is a very noble warrior. Yeah. Who's <laughs> above reproach, which is not the Yondo, Yondu in the film, and so I kept sending him drafts, and they, you know, Marvel would say like, "No, you're not getting it right. Try this," and they'd give some direction, but it wasn't great direction. And then one day they said, "Well, you know, the guy playing it is is uh, Michael Rooker, Merle from Walking Dead," and everybody and everybody in my department except for me hadn't seen The Walking Dead, so I said, "Oh, it's Merle," and they're like, "Yeah," and he just sounds like Merle. And so, okay. So I just wrote it like it was a Merle from The Walking Dead, and I sent it in. They're like, no, you got it. You understand it now. Like, Yondu's not Merle. Okay. So, but, I mean, who can, who, can, who can argue with how cool Yondu is in those movies, though? It was a great choice for them, but we had a really tough time with that one. The other one that was really tough was Vanellope from Wreck-It mm, Ralph because yeah. there was that, there's sort of that baby voice sound that Sarah Silverman's putting on. Yeah. But I didn't understand that at all, so that took a while. It happens, you know. It's always easier if you're the one creating the character. If you're working on a product for another person's creation, it's hard to know what's what's going to be on the screen. Yeah, especially like the difference between Baymax in the comics versus Baymax the Disney version. Trying exactly. To get that right. Yeah, yeah. It's like a completely different character. <laughs> So let's uh, speaking of comics, let's just dive into your work in comics. Uh, okay. Which, so what's the first comic you ever got to work on? Um, so I did some writing and layout stuff for Archie Comics, which I've been an Archie fan for, well, since I was about six as well, yeah. Uh, and that was pretty awesome. I have a friend that's a penciler at Archie and helped me get some work there. And uh, so I, I still occasionally do some things for the classic style Archie stuff. But, Classics are better. But now when I go to panels and I tell people that I've worked for Archie, all the girls that are obsessed with Riverdale think I'm cool. So <laughs> it's pretty nice. Like I went to uh, I went to a panel uh, last year and nobody that went to the panel, they knew it was an Archie panel, but they didn't know that I'd worked with Archie. And so when they announced me in, in the room, a couple of girls started crying, and oh. I felt so stressed because I'm like, I, this panel is not going to live up to what you're hoping for. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know Jughead's hot to you, but I... Anyway, um, so I did that first, and then that kind of led to some work doing Pink Panther. There's a reboot of the Pink Panther series, and that... I have some of that. So I got to put... I got to do a story for the free comic book day issue of Pink Panther for the, with the Ant and the Yardvark characters, which are my favorite Pink Panther characters. And then I got to actually draw the next year the Underdog Free Comic Book Day issue. And I did this Three Stooges uh, Halloween Fest Free Comic Book Day issue. And I've just done uh, bits and pieces of them, all those comics. And uh, currently, I've the, my two big things, well, yeah, my two big things are uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle. I'm, I'm starting work as the penciler on that series with the next issue. And uh, 
my own creator own comic Chim Chum and the Portly Samurai which my publisher decided to give it, give me a chance and and uh, that issue one just came out and you can find any of that stuff either in your local comic shop which you should be carrying it and you need to tell them they need to or you can go to americanmythology.net and you can buy stuff there too so yes where does the character Chim Chum come from this little fox he's this adorable so, little guy Chim Chum and the Portly Samurai is very personal to me because Chim Chum, the little fox, is is basically my cat, is <laughs> Isabella, and she was a, kind of a jerk, but she also loved me, and she was a great cat. She's the best little sidekick I ever had in my life, and the portly samurai is me. I'm a big fat guy. The uh, if you there's one panel where you actually see j just like me, the samurai is actually bald. He's wearing a wig <laughs> the whole time, but the samurai is me, and how angry I'd get at my cat doing shenanigans, and the fox is my cat so a lot of so it started as a r2 i know um <laughs> a lot of a lot a lot of the earlier strips started out more like a single panel dennis the menacing but now i'm doing longer adventures with him which is kind of fun yeah and i can vouch for bella being a jerk <laughs> <laughs> yes you met her a few times she was only a jerk to you I know. <laughs> I mean, no, wait. She was only not a jerk to me and my wife, I guess would be the better way to say that. But Chim Chum is, while the comic book just came out, Chim Chum is not a new creation. No, I have a webcomic that's been going for about eight years on ChimChum.com. And uh, I'm actually rebranding it right now and redoing a lot of the older strips because it's appearing in a couple of newspapers now. Cool. Uh, so, yeah, it's a great time to actually check out the comic if you haven't, if you haven't seen it yet. It's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. good, good just fun humor I think still one of yeah. my favorite ones is that uh, Chim Chum and the Samurai are about to have a snowball fight and Chim Chum's got this giant boulder of a snowball oh yeah <laughs> yep. it's just that's, that's pure just innocent fun I love that that's the thing like I'm really inspired on that comic strip by Dennis the Menace like, <laughs> I feel like Dennis doesn't mean to be a bad kid but he's just a kid and sometimes yeah. that makes adults really uncomfortable well better Dennis the Menace than uh, the far side yeah, I don't. I think I, these characters wouldn't work with far side humor. I don't think. <laughs> so, with the the new comic series, is this we're going to see a little bit more of? Because uh, Chim Chum apparently being the sidekick, so I get a sidekick. So I've which there's another real, real one that cracked me up. That's not what a sidekick means. And you have the portly samurai rubbing aside. Oh a yeah, because he kicked but, him in the side. Yeah, yeah, I love that uh, dad humor kind of thing. I guess. But uh, so, do we get to see a little bit more of Chim Chum like trying to train to become a little fox samurai or? It's unclear from issue one what Chim Chum's role is other than he hangs around with this guy and occasionally is helpful. <laughs> but hidden sort of secretly in the issue are many Easter eggs revealing a bigger story. There's a four-issue story arc on this first set that I have planned, and uh, this one may seem like sort of a surface-level adventure, but there's actually a lot of things that it's set up for a very epic sort of journey. Yeah. yeah, so I can't reveal, I can't reveal what the future holds for that little fox, but there's something, there's something cooking. Ooh. So now, uh, what? Obviously, you've talked about Dennis the Menace being an inspiration, but uh, you know, what artists do you look to when you, you know, are looking for inspiration? Oh, so um, Carl Barks, famous Uncle Scrooge artist, and to a somewhat lesser extent, not because I don't like him, just because he kind of took the torch, uh, Don Rosa, uh, who's here today and may be having a panel somewhere at the same time. We don't know. Yeah. Well, Michael Roker is supposed to be going on about now. Speaking oh, okay. of him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, Jeff Smith, who uh, did Bone, the comic, the comic oh, book Bone, wow. he's one of my very best influences. Uh, uh, Sergio Aragones on Gru. And then for comic strips, uh, Bill Watterson, but I think every comic strip artist would say that. Uh, and George Crenshaw, who had a lesser known comic strip called Belvedere about a dog who annoys his owners all the time, which is probably plagiarized by Chim Chum. I'm not sure. But uh, uh, not George, Cren George, uh, George Henshaw. So, uh, so those are probably my big ones, yeah. I just thought of this out of a wild blue yonder. So if you were going to come up with a good video game of Chim Chum and the Portly Samurai, what would you do? Would you be able to play as Chim Chum or the Samurai it, or both? It would be a Tetris-style game in which you move Chim Chum from side to side, catching pieces of sushi in his mouth. <laughs> I think that's pretty much all you could do with him because he just eats and eats and eats. He's a bottomless pit. Well, I, I would have thought that he was the one tossing things Tetris-style. No. So, so a running gag is becoming that the portly samurai is overweight, mm -hmm. but he's never the one that gets the food. It's always <laughs> Chim Chum, who seems to just be able to pack it away. So, yeah. I, I, I've already in my mind cast, like, if there's a cartoon series, Rob Paulson would be the voice of the portly samurai. And Chim Chum would be the voice voiced by nobody because I guess we could get Jim Cummings, but he wouldn't have any lines. Yeah. Well, you silent. get Frank Welker does the great animal noises. Yeah, but Chim, I don't think Chim Chum make. I don't, foxes kind of make a sound, but I don't know. What does the fox say? <laughs> That's a different says, podcast or something. I don't know. <laughs> Available on iTunes. They, I think they can bark in some fashion. Yeah, they have a little bark. Yeah. they do, but they're usually pretty quiet. Yeah, they're usually fairly quiet. Yeah. Because they're sneaky, you know, apparently. Uh-oh, there's that Zootopia stereotype. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you're here at, Can uh, at Planet Comic Con, uh, of course, to join us here at this panel, but uh, you're also uh, selling your own artwork here. Can you tell us a little bit about that and your style? Sure. Um, so I started doing a lot of artwork for conventions. The first thing I realized was... Uh, younger girls really liked, liked characters like Wonder Woman and they could only find really sexy looking Wonder Woman art and so I started I started catering more to if I had a kid what kind of cool stuff would I want to let let them decorate their room with and so while I have no qualm with everybody else's art I really I really like to focus on things that will uh, inspire people to let their kids express themselves and you know uh, speak to their fandoms in a way that's uh, sort of family family friendly and really accessible what I love more than anything is when somebody comes to my table and they they have a personal uh, connection with something I've I've created that's so that's what I'm always looking for yeah and one of the things that I, I always enjoy seeing at these conventions are the people who come up and you know there's a lot of Disney work, um, mm -hmm. there's some superhero work, but one of the things that always seems to grab everybody are, oh look, it's Batty Coda from Fern Gully. Yeah, or, I'll do oh, a drawing of a, of a more obscure character that I loved, and, and you always think, oh, nobody's gonna even know who this is, and there's always somebody that's amazed and happy that, they, that you've drawn something like that, yeah. You know, what, uh, can you tell us about uh, your Thumbelina picture? Oh, is there a specific thing you're thinking of? Uh, 
when you were selling your original art for that. Oh, that's right. So I, I drew Thumbelina from Don Bluth's Thumbelina movie. I just drew a, like a watercolor drawing of it. And I had it forever. And, and uh, you know, everybody said, like, why did you pick that character? Why did you waste time drawing that character? That's so obscure. And, mm. and I said, you mark my words. Someday somebody will come buy this. And they're going to love it to death. They're going to be looking for a Thumbelina drawing, and they're going to love this one, and they're going to buy it, and I'm going to take a picture with them, and I'm just going to rub it in everybody's face. <laughs> well, I took a break from my booth one time, and my wife was watching my booth for me, and lo and behold, somebody came up and bought the Thumbelina picture. But of course, I wasn't there, uh... so she took a picture of the girl to show me later. <laughs> but yeah, it's somebody loves everything. Yeah. Black Cauldron is my least favorite Disney movie. There is somebody in this world for which that is their favorite movie. Yeah, and I would probably still buy some of the art. The design of that movie is brilliant. Yeah. And the yeah. books are fantastic. I'm, yeah. I've been hearing Disney's now got the rights to try to yeah, try again. Yeah, like they're doing a live action one. Yes, uh, like I'm so excited. They're great books. And the style, which we need to have the Peraza's back on the show sometime. Because uh, Patty Peraza did some of the effects on that one. Great animators. Cool. So she's had some artwork of Toon, Toon Fest. Uh, very, very cool. So, yes, we do love some Black Cauldron. So, awesome. yes, awesome. anything. Yeah, because you even have, you know, you've done some Swan Princess probably then as well, haven't you? Uh, I did a couple things. Yeah, yeah. I did the Puffin from Swan Princess, and somebody bought oh, that. Oh, you know, yes. I, I know I've seen that movie a couple times. That's, that's a good one. <laughs> stuff that's the obscure stuff, like Quest for Camelot. It's another great yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, draw that obscure stuff. Oh, I do. Yeah. Don't worry. Just go for it. I do. I love it. If anything, I need to draw less obscure stuff because people, I need, I need people to react more often to this. But it's just too much fun. I love it. Yeah. So you got to love all the, all the different type of things like that, though. Yeah, I do. So, so what is your favorite piece of your own? Oh, uh, boy, that's a tough one. I, I did a... I did a, a, a Sort of a chibi version of uh, of Beauty and the Beast from the Something There sequence. That's mm. probably up there. And also, I back in the old days, uh, I did a, I did one I really love of uh, Sawyer and Danny from Cats Don't Dance dancing, and uh, that's probably one of my favorite pieces too. Yeah, but honestly. Um, Comic book work. The first issue of Chim Chum is I'm very proud of because I did everything for that, uh, with the exception of some of the lettering. And uh, I I did a story called uh, Scared Pink for Pink Panther's uh, Halloween issue, and that was my first long like format story. And I was I'm pretty proud of that one as well. Wasn't there a tribute to your dad in that one? Uh, no, I know what you're thinking of. I actually inked a story that had a fire engine as part of the story. And so I just, I, I got some of those pages back and I gave one to my dad for his retirement because he was a firefighter. Uh, yeah. yeah. So uh, coming up in the future, is there any place that uh, we can look for what you're doing? So the best place to go is chimchum.com, which has links to all my social media. And uh, you can find all the great books that American Mythology publishes that they let me work on. Uh, and also, you know, Archie, once in a while you'll see a digest, Archie Digest with my cover uh, jokes. And, but mostly chimchum.com, if you go there, that's the best way to get updates. I also have a Patreon there that you can uh, get a postcard of the month deal and you can actually like 
pledge just a little more and get sketches. But that's where I'm kind of focused right now is is the comic book stuff and just meeting people at conventions and sort of interacting with fans. Okay. All right. So any advice for any budding artists out there? Yes. Don't hold your panel at the same time as Jim Cummings. <laughs> you will be heartbroken. If you are starting off in the industry and that's your first experience with interacting with your fans, it might destroy your career. Me, I have no soul left, so it's not a big deal. But um, no, draw, 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 draw. Watch movies, study them, interact with people that are in the industry. Be very gracious and, and respectful of their time, but ask them questions. How can I get better? Are you willing to look at my stuff? Can I do anything for you? Or you know, just things that might help them have a sense that you're in it for the long haul and that you're really committed to doing well. But if you want to be in the, be a writer, read. Uh, I think you know, obviously you have to write too, but read and read and and just draw and draw. <laughs> like uh, you know, they uh, Glenn Keane, one of the Disney animators, always used to say, you know, you have a hundred hundred thousand bad drawings, so you better get started. <laughs> so the idea is, you have a hundred thousand bad drawings before you have a good one. So I just, just perseverance and practice and don't give up on yourself and don't second guess yourself. Just hang in there because uh, that's what it takes. It really does. Uh, you, could, you could spend a lot of years wondering if you've got what it takes, but as long as you just keep plugging away, you'll probably have a pretty good outcome from it eventually. Yeah. And I say we're really run out of time here. Yeah. Well, thank so, you so much for, for spending this time with us. We sure. really appreciate it. Thanks Again, for having me. Uh, we can reach out to you at chimchum.com. That's C H I M C H U M.com. That's C O M. Mm-hmm. <laughs> While we're spelling. And, uh, you know, if we uh, want to find the comic book, you know, check out your local comic shops. Uh, go to AmericanMythology.net. Um, and then again, uh, you know, uh, if you haven't tried playing Disney Infinity yet, go check it out. Yeah, uh, you can't really play online anymore, but it's still a lot of fun to play with. It, exactly. You may be able to go to a Toys R Us and get a crystal Perry the Platypus for 99 cents. So yeah. this is a perfect time. It's perfect time. You know, and uh, I believe we do have some links over there to the Art of Adrian Rop uh, at NeverlandPodcast.com. Awesome. We do have our Friends of the Show page. You can find him. Make sure you use that link. If you can't remember how to spell Chim Chum. At least that'll get you because you have a. Let's see, there's Jim Chum. Is there a different page of just an Adrian Rob page? That's that's the that's the place to go. That is yeah, the place. To that's go. the central. So that's location. probably linking it over to yeah. Jim Chum. Is probably what I've got set up. I just know that I've got that image. I might be a Facebook page that's different, but yeah, yeah. the, the website Facebook. website will be the place to go. And awesome. do you have Instagram or any other places where I do? I'm on you? I'm on the social medias. So if you go to the website, it will give you the links. All right, all right, and make sure you visit us at booth thirteen thirty eight. Thanks again, guys. <laughs> Thank you, Adrian. And you can stop the recording now. So everybody, as you exit, please try to be mindful of the crowd and exit slowly and be mm-hmm. safe. Yeah, don't push. You'll all be able to get up there. Thank you. For Michael Rooker is still there. <laughs>Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. We invite you back next week for more fun and adventure. Until then, remember to keep a pixie in your pocket. It's that young at heart, positive attitude that you can share with others.
And remember to visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com. There you can find links to our news page, our shop, our contact page, where you can easily send an email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. You can also find our Neverlanders page, where you can find out how to become an official Lost Boy or Pixie, because girls are too clever to get lost. Become a real Neverlander. Please feel free to leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at NeverlandPCast. And like our Neverland Podcast fan page on Facebook. We also have a group on Facebook for you to join. We also appreciate your support to keep the Neverland Podcast up and running. Visit patreon.com slash neverlandpodcast to donate to keeping the pixie dust alive. Copyright content featured on the Neverland Podcast is copyright of their respective creators and used under fair use license. All original content is copyright of Blue Band Productions and a very special thanks to Yeehaw Bob Jackson at yeehawbob.com for our new ending music. God bless! Yeah! Hello everybody, this is Yeehaw Bob Jackson. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, it's true. Neverland Podcast, we